0: (laughs) Oh, that's so terrible, you guys. Uh, Parks and Rec is one of my favorite TV shows ever. And if you watched it, you would know that that couple uh, needed a lot of pre-marriage counseling before their marriage. And and that's actually one of the things that, um, surprise, surprise, I get to do uh, at Fort City on occasion. Um, Now, that kind of begs the question, am I qualified. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, depends who you ask. Don't ask my wife. She will probably give you a different answer than me. Am I technically qualified? Yes. Um, I actually this year took a, a course uh, called Prepare and Enrich, and it's this kind of pre-marriage counseling course that, uh, that that is really helpful for couples. What it does is it emails them both a test that they take separately, And it's about a thousand questions long. And then they send their test results back, and the computer does some magic and kind of combines their scores. And then it gives you, uh, gives the counselor, like, strength areas to talk about and growth areas. Okay, you can't say a negative thing, it's got to be a growth area, it's not a weakness. Um, And so it's actually this pretty great program. And uh, after I finished my certification in it, um, I got a free test. And so I decided uh, that me and Adrian would fill it out just for, you know, fun. And uh, in retrospect, (laughs) that sort of honesty in a relationship is a little scary. Um, It might not have been the smartest decision. Uh, In the thousand questions that are asked, uh, the survey has seven statements that are designed to tell if the person answering has a overly ideal view of their relationship. It's basically questions or statements designed to see uh, if a person has a realistic view of their relationship or if they have their head in the clouds. Uh, it's called the idealistic distortion scale, it sounds really boring, I know. Uh, but I'm going to be vulnerable for a second, and I'm going to show you a couple of our answers, me and Adrian. Uh, this is uncomfortable, but we're, f- we're friends, right? Uh, so Let's put the first question up on the screen. Uh, It asks you to rate it on a scale of one to five, five being, I totally agree with this statement, and one being, I totally disagree with this statement. So the first uh, statement was, every new thing I have learned about my partner has pleased me, and my answer was five. I strongly agreed. Adrian's answer was two. (laughs) She did not agree. Uh, The next question, Uh, My partner and I understand each other completely. I answered, five. (laughs) And Adrian answered, three. She's pretty neutral on that one. Next question. My partner completely understands and sympathizes with my every mood. I answered, five. (laughs) Adrian answered, two. So you can see... (laughs) Me looking at these test results after uh, had me questioning the wisdom of taking the test. I scored an unreasonable and likely unhealthy 100% on the idealistic distortion score. And my wife scored a much more healthy, much more reasonable 60%. It is not wise and it is not healthy to be idealistic about anything. Wisdom is rooted in reality. Understanding the real life truth about your relationships and the uh, situations that you find yourself in helps you to make smarter and better informed decisions. And sometimes, when it comes to faith, some of us end up being on the overly idealistic side of the equation. We think that being a Christian is full of happiness and prosperity that if something goes wrong in our lives it must be the devil at work and that if something uh, and that if you have faith it's going to solve all of your problems and you can see that idealism kind of contained in some very common christian platitudes you've probably heard some of these before uh, god will not give you more than you can handle god works in mysterious ways when god closes a door He opens a window. And these statements kind of lean on to the idealistic side of things. And using these pithy statements with people who are truly struggling, who are truly suffering, is often not very helpful. And it is often actually sort of mean. Telling a person who is overwhelmed and drowning in problems that God will not give them more than they can handle is the opposite of helpful. Telling a person who is asking for tough questions, they want real answers, that God works in mysterious ways is not really helping them. And I can tell you from experience that sometimes when God closes a door, he nails it shut and then he boards up all the windows. It's not always a pretty picture. Having realistic expectations of your faith sets you up to be able to weather the difficult times. Being honest with yourself about your doubts can help give you the strength to overcome them. And today we're going to talk about how to fight when you feel like giving up how to survive when it all seems to fall apart and how to give yourself a fighting chance when it feels like you have no chance i am convinced that the way to win this fight is to be ready before you're ever in it when Adrian and I first got married, I'm pretty sure we both would have scored 100% on the idealistic distortion scale. It was young love. You know, you know it when you see it, it's gross. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you've been married a while, you look at young love and you're like, oh, that's not going to last, right? It's, you, you, you get it. Um, our marriage had barely started before we experienced our first major test. Uh, I had booked our honeymoon to Jamaica. It was going to be amazing. We were three days before our flights were supposed to leave. And Adrian put my passport through the washing machine and completely destroyed it. And I know you should never complain about your spouse doing the laundry but I really wish she hadn't have done that it was a scramble I had to drive to Edmonton and back in the same day and they were able to issue me an emergency passport so things ended up being okay but three days later we're driving to Edmonton together to catch our flight to Jamaica and I was 19 and I hadn't spent much time in Edmonton so I didn't really know where I was going Uh, and Adrian was in the navigator's seat and she was giving me all the directions and this was before Google Maps so before we left our house in Fort McMurray we printed out MapQuest directions. (laughs) You guys remember those things? Um, And she was doing a fine job of navigating us uh, until we arrived at our destination and realized that she had brought us to the Edmonton City Center Airport and not the International Airport which was an hour away. So that was pretty tense. Um, We had to scramble to get to the airport. Uh, We made it just in time, made it through customs just at the last second. And we ended up making our flight. And so, yeah, we're still married today. But let me tell you, it got pretty tense in that two-door sunfire that we were driving. That is maybe where Adrian's idealistic score started to go down, I think. Um, Over the years, we discovered something, though. Uh, uh, this is common with many couples, that driving and navigation w- is a tension point for us. Uh, I get unreasonably frustrated with Adrian's navigation, and she gets very reasonably frustrated with my frustration. Uh, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're kind of giggling because you guys fight like us too when you're navigating somewhere. And this cycle repeated itself many, many times uh, until we decided to do something about it. We decided that when we are traveling somewhere where we've never been before, uh, we spend the extra time before we leave, both familiarizing ourselves with the route before we leave. Now, this has resulted in a lot less fighting when we're traveling. We still fight, guys. If I'm being honest, there's still some fighting. uh, But a lot less fighting. See, when you anticipate the problem, you can prepare a solution for it. When you expect something to go wrong, you can be ready to make it right. And here's the thing that you may not have heard in church before. You need to expect to have hard times in your life, difficult seasons, and yes, even doubt. To paraphrase the modern poet, Lil Nas, life is hard and then you die. Or if you prefer, here's a quote from Jesus. (laughs) John was a guy who had a front row seat to the life of Jesus. John was there for the good and the bad and he tells us that just hours before Jesus was arrested, when time was running out, Jesus made this promise the other apostles. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. Thanks Jesus. And let me tell you something for John and Peter and James (laughs) that promise was more than just hyperbole they would have trouble. They would become fugitives in their own land just for following Jesus. They would be put in prison and beaten. Some of them would be stoned to death. Some would be crucified. Almost all of them listening to Jesus say those words that day would end up giving their lives for the cause of of Jesus they would witness genocide in the Jewish Roman Roman war that saw women and children and over a million people starved and murders murdered at the hands of the Romans they would see and experience so much trouble and John who was there at the end of his life he was the last remaining apostle who had heard Jesus speak that terrible promise all the others had been killed He had witnessed such horror and pain and the worst of what humanity could become. And seeing all that, knowing such tragedy, at the end of his life, John penned these simple words that are so powerful that seem to contradict everything he had ever experienced. He wrote this, God is love. God is love. It begs the question, How could a person who had seen the things John had seen make such a bold statement? How could a person like John who had suffered so much loss come to the conclusion that God is love? Where was the source of John's unshakable hope? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, following Jesus does not mean that your problems go away. Following Jesus doesn't ensure that you will be blessed with health and wealth and prosperity. But following Jesus does mean being able to see the world in front of you through the eyes of the God who created you. Following Jesus does mean that you will never again have to face the trouble of this world alone. Now, A little later, we're going to take communion together. Uh, Communion is something that Jesus asked his followers to do. And we're going to share a moment up at the front here. You see the tables set up. And we're going to take a piece of bread and we're going to dip it in the juice. We're going to take a moment to remember the life and the sacrifice of Jesus. It's kind of this beautiful, intentional time where we just quiet our hearts and minds in gratitude and appreciation for what God has done for us and the very first time that Jesus asked his followers to do this was the night before he was killed it was a Passover meal with his closest friends Uh, Passover was a meal that traditionally honored the faithfulness of God to rescue the people of Israel from death in Egypt but this night Jesus was planning on flipping the script No longer did he want them to celebrate God's faithfulness to rescue them in the past. He wanted them to see God's rescuing work right in front of them. Sitting in front of them in the person of Jesus was the rescue. It was this incredible moment that we're still talking about almost 2,000 years later. And sometimes when we talk about these things Jesus did, these moments in his life, we forget something that I think is so very important. That Jesus was human. That Jesus was vulnerable to getting tired, vulnerable to to getting exhausted, to feeling drained or experiencing loneliness, just like us. And as soon as Jesus had finished that Passover meal with his followers, Something happened that I think we shouldn't skip over too quickly. Jesus grabbed his closest friends, his inner circle. Peter and James and John, these were the ones who knew him best. And he took them off to a quiet garden. And James and John and Peter, they could tell something was wrong with Jesus. They knew him well, better than anyone. They could see his heart was heavy. And later they would tell people that they saw sorrow in trouble in his eyes. And Jesus opened up with them and he said this, my soul is overwhelmed and with sorrow to the point of death. The creator of the universe is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And just think about that, what that means for a second. Even Jesus was not immune to to sorrow. The creator of the universe allowed him to experience the deepest, darkest pain of what it means to be human. He saw the hurt of humanity and he steered right into it. I think there is something very important that we can learn from what Jesus did that night in the garden. When he got overwhelmed, he did two things. He turned to his closest friends And he turned to his father in heaven. Last week, if you were here, you heard me talk about loneliness and how loneliness is becoming an epidemic. That Even though we live in a time in history where technology connects us in, in greater ways than ever before, even though we can pull out our phones and see the faces of our friends on the other side of the country, all the research shows that loneliness and isolation and social anxiety are on the rise. And so much so, as I said last week, that in places like the UK, there's a minister of loneliness. There's a government position. They, they are trying to address this very serious problem. And I believe there is a problem. I think that God created us for each other. I think that God made you and I For each other, that he created us with social needs on purpose. Introvert and extrovert alike, we are better together. And at the beginning, before all things, when God created the earth, he thought it was good. He made the sky and the sea, and he stepped back and he said, That is good. He made the plants and the animals, and he stepped back, he said, That is good good and then he made man and he was really impressed and he stepped back and he said that is really good and then Adam and God existed in this perfect relationship Adam had access to all of God, uh, all of his love and peace and wisdom, they lived in this kind of constant contact but then God saw something in Adam that needed to be addressed the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. See, Adam had everything a person could need. He had food and shelter and purpose. Adam had an intimate relationship with his creator, and yet still when God looked at him, God saw something was missing. Adam wasn't complete. Adam wasn't whole. And so God made him a partner, someone to share his life with. Now, Let me be a little bit cheesy for a second. You may have heard it said that every person has a God-shaped hole in their heart. It's true, okay? I think it's true. It's cheesy, but it's true. But I also believe it is equally true that everyone has a person-shaped hole in their heart. A hole that can only be filled with the love and the care of good friends who are for us. In his darkest moment, Jesus opened up to his closest friends. In your darkest moments, you need people you trust who can be a shining light of hope. Now, here's the thing about this at Fort City, we really, really believe this. It's one of our core values. We are in this together. And that's why we have created all of these environments, all of these opportunities for real important social interaction to happen. When you join a community group, you start working on your faith and all that kind of stuff, yes, but you also begin building friendships and relationships with people who who begin to care for you people who will give you rides to the airport people who will celebrate with you when you get engaged people who will cry with you when you lose someone you love when you serve on a team like kids city upstairs or the connection team you create connections with people who might just become the person who is going to be the light in your dark night and some of you sitting here today you you're feeling this <laughs> That promise Jesus made, you feel it. You have had trouble. You've got sorrow. You feel overwhelmed, just like Jesus did that night in the garden. And listen to me, this part is important. You're in the right place. You are sitting next to the right people because we carry E. Each other, We hold each other up. When you can't stand, we will stand for you. You are not alone. But if you are sneaking in late on a Sunday and slipping out the exit as soon as the service is over, you are missing out on one of the most important parts of this community. You are missing out on us. You are missing out on what we have to offer each other. If you only come on a Sunday and you're not connecting with each other during the week on a team or a community group, you are missing out on what it means to be part of something that is bigger than yourself with other people. Part of something that we can all gather around together and build together. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and, uh, as, as I close. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes, I don't know if you've ever read this book in the Bible, it is dark. Uh, it is depressing. And he was a dark and depressing author. It's a very weird book. But even a guy like that knew that we cannot do this on our own. He wrote this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor." If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Give yourself a fighting chance. Surround yourself with people who will carry you when you are weak, who will lift you when you have fallen, sit with you when you are overwhelmed with sorrow. Something happened that night. In the garden that night when Jesus brought James and Peter and John with him. See, he bore his soul to them. He opened up. He let them see his pain. And he asked them to pray with them. And they did for a little while. But it was late, and their bellies were full, and they were tired, and they fell asleep. And suddenly, Jesus found himself all alone again. Guys, as important as I think we are to each other, as important as I think this community is, sometimes we screw up. And sometimes we let each other down. Sometimes we aren't as loving as we probably should be. Lots of us here today know what it feels like to be let down by someone we trust. It doesn't feel good. But we can learn from Jesus' reaction to these guys. He wasn't happy. He was probably hurt by them for not staying with him. But he did not give up on them. Even in their weakness, Jesus found comfort in them. We need each other if we're going to have a fighting chance. That night in the garden, Jesus was spinning. He was overwhelmed. He was alone. So he did something that I think is so very important. He turned his eyes upward. He spoke to his Father in heaven. He was honest, and he didn't hold anything back. He bared his soul, his heart, his anger, his fear with God, and he gave it away to him. Now, we need to know something today, I think. God can handle the real you. He can handle all of your tough questions. He can handle your anger. He can handle all of your sorrow. He can even handle your doubt. There is nothing that is inside of you that is off limits for God. There is nothing that is too uncomfortable for Him to care about. And when all else fails around you, you can always turn to God. You know, next week is Thanksgiving and many people will spend Thanksgiving Day cooking a big meal and then they'll sit down with friends and family around the table. Uh, There will be joy and laughter about the past. There will be hopefulness about the future. And if you're like my family, there's going to be a bit of arguing at that table. And this morning, up at the front here, we have set up some tables. There is bread and juice for us to eat And to drink together. And we meet at these tables. And in some beautiful and mysterious way. We meet God. And it's my hope. That this morning at these tables. At these communion tables. There will be joy and laughter. About what God has done for us. That there will be hopefulness. About what he wants to do for us. And that there will be even some honesty. Honesty about our hurts and our doubts. This communion table is an invitation to bring all of your hopes and your dreams, your hurts and your failures, your highs and your lows, and to give them over to Jesus. He invites us. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that no matter how we feel, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, what we've experienced, that you are always there, and that you always care for. And I thank you for each person in this room, each person that makes up the church, each person that I can depend on, who cares about, that we can depend on and who cares for each other. And Jesus, I pray that today that you would teach us how to be prepared for coming seasons of sorrow, for coming seasons of doubt, that you would teach us that we need each other and that we can always look to you. And Jesus, today I pray that if there's anybody in this room who is in sorrow right now, that you would draw near to them. That you would make good on your promise that we will have trouble, that we can take heart for you have overcome the world. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.